you would turn with me to your New Testaments, please, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13. And if you would follow on as I read in your hearing, Luke 13, commencing at verse 10 to 17. And then again, we will briefly pray before we come to this passage. So it's Luke 13 and verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Let's bow together in a moment of prayer. Oh, our blessed Lord, we come before you in this moment to say thank you for the word of God, this even written account of what we have just heard from you. Lord Jesus, what you did on this one occasion on this Sabbath day and how you showed your power, how you extended your compassion, how you did a glorious work that indeed did glorify you and your Father. It's our heart's desire that you would manifest that power and that compassion even through the preaching of your gospel this evening and that the end result would be that sinners would be saved but above all that Christ and his Father would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible emphatically announces Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. The same Jesus that walked the dusty roads of Palestine 2,000 years ago remains the same this very moment. He has not, he does not, and he will not ever change. And he demonstrated during his public ministry what power he possesses. 
He can turn tears into triumph. He can turn death into life. And his capacity to do that today has not diminished. Now this evening we're going to consider one of the miracles of our Saviour, this miracle here in Luke 13 that I just read. And like all the miracles that Jesus performed, clearly they show us who he is. Though he was a real man, we know he was more than that. His miracle of healing the sick, of raising the dead, prove his deity, that he is the eternal Son of God. But Christ's miracles do even more than that. I believe Charles Spurgeon was right when he said in the 19th century, all our Lord's miracles were intended to be parables. He says they were intended to instruct us as well as inspire us. They are sermons to the eye, he said. In a world of constant sorrow and rapid change, we need to know that Jesus can still do mighty things. So the miracles of our Saviour, yes, they impress us. And yes, they inspire us. They can instruct us. They show us who he is. And so sometimes we might say his miracles authenticate his own claim to be God in human flesh. But his miracles also show us his heart. But especially, and this is the point I want to underscore this evening, we also can see how the miracles of our Saviour, yes, the miracles themselves, are gospel-rich. That is, they illustrate for us the saving power of Christ in the gospel. And we're going to see that, Lord willing, in this one this evening. What, What Jesus' miracles did for the sick and even dead bodies... He can do for our souls today, even your soul tonight. We're going to see that this miracle, this one here in Luke 13, is actually gospel rich. It reveals, you see, the power of Christ in the gospel, in his converting work. It highlights what what Christ has done perhaps for you. It's going to show us what Christ perhaps could do for some of you, even this evening. If you're looking for a sermon title, it would be The Bent Made Straight. And we're going to look at three very simple things in this text in Luke 13. We're going to look at the context, then the condition, and then the cure. Look with me in your own Bibles, please, back to verse 10, as we just see this set by Luke in the context. Verse 10 says, Now he, that is Jesus Christ, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now many of you know Luke in his occupation before getting involved in gospel ministry, and even whilst involved in gospel ministry, he was a doctor. 
And we can see that, that Luke, as he begins to describe this whole situation that we'll see unfold, as we, he gives us the context, he tells us that Jesus is in some town. He doesn't give us the name of the town. He doesn't specifically highlight exactly where it is, though most commentators will suggest from the broader context that this is when Jesus is on his way to his last journey or on his last journey to Jerusalem. Have a look down at verse 22 where we get these words. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. It's likely that Jesus is in Perea. That's the southern region of the country. It's on the opposite side of the Jordan to Jerusalem. Again, verse 10 tells us what day of the week it is. It's the Sabbath day. And what did Jesus do? Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. What's he do on the Sabbath? He goes to the synagogue. That word synagogue, it's made up of two very basic words. One word in English would be the word together and the other word would be the word bring. Bring together is the idea of synagogue. In other words, the synagogue was a place where worshippers came together. It's the idea of congregating like we are doing this evening. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is in the habit of attending the gathering for public worship in the synagogue on the Sabbath, Luke is telling us. And we know Luke tells us back in chapter 4, verse 16, that this was his custom. He says there, as his custom was, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so even when visiting some nameless town, We see here in Luke 13 that Jesus continued this godly habit of his life. And before we even get into the miracle, can you not see there's a lesson here? What's interesting is he still went to what would be an equivalent to church for us, even though he knew that this one wasn't perfect. He knew that there were real hypocrites amongst some of those people especially some of the leaders that's what he says in verse 15 but he still went there to worship Jesus also didn't agree with everything that was taught in that place like the teaching on the Sabbath but still he went he knew that the Psalms would be sung In that place, he he knew that the scriptures would be read in that place. He knew that the scriptures would be expounded and he wanted to worship with God's people. He knew his own human soul needs spiritual nourishment via such means of grace. And so despite the fact that he knew that that place was was quite a few degrees off perfection, He didn't walk away from gathering with God's people on the day of worship, in God's ordained place of worship. And as we think of that for our own day, it's true, isn't it, that today things can get to a place where in certain 
context. It's no longer faithful. There's basically no Bible. There's no, there's no scripture reading. There's no Bible exposition. There's no spiritual nourishment ultimately given there in places where God's ordained means of grace aren't happening. Clearly then, that's not a spiritual place to keep attending. But at least here, in Jesus' day, there were the singing of the Psalms, there was the public reading, there was the exposition of Scripture, and Jesus never dared to walk away from that. Actually, he went to support it. He went to worship his Father. He didn't just tolerate it and then sit there quietly protesting by not being involved. Verse 10 tells us he was active. In service, Jesus took every opportunity to minister in the synagogue, even though he knew it wasn't completely perfect. This should encourage us. Verse 10 says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And though there were many people that day, according to verse 17, there were many people in that synagogue. The word multitude is used. And yet Luke highlights three main characters in this context of this uh, gathering there, this large gathering in this synagogue. Jesus, a sick woman, and the synagogue ruler. They're the three main ones that appear in this paragraph. Have a look at verse 11 because he hones in on the sick woman. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no ways Right, raise herself up. Luke introduces her by saying, Behold, I want you to look at her. It's difficult for this woman to even walk. She's bent over. Her posture is one of being bent. We would say today she had some significant disability. But where was she? On the Sabbath, she also was in the place of worship with God's people. Ah, can you see there's another lesson here for us today? J.C. Ryle rightly says, sickness was no excuse with her staying away from God's house. In spite of suffering, she found her way to the place where the day of God and the word of God were honoured and where God's people met together. She could have chosen to stay away. I mean, it's too difficult to get there. I've got such a sore back. And think how different her life would have been if she caved into those thoughts. She would have missed out on so much blessing. And yet, you see, she was clearly committed to, to going even with her physical affliction. And how did she go home? She went home rejoicing. And yet how easy it is even in our own day for us or God's people even sometimes to cave in and not bother to go to worship due to lesser things like the weather. too hot but normally perhaps it would be it's too wet 
I've got a headache. Oh, I've got a sore back. Would such things keep you away from going to the shops the next day? You see, in the end, not always, but very often, these things are a matter of desire. The very day that you're tempted to yield to those thoughts could be the very day the Lord visits the congregation in unusual blessing and you will miss it. I say to you, brethren, resist those temptations and imitate this woman. How commendable is her conduct in this context? And so we've seen the context. Let's move forward now and look more closely at this woman in terms of what I'm calling, secondly, the condition. Look at verse 11 as we hone in on her condition. It says, And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Two things here I want you to see. But firstly, there's this general description given by Luke that she had a spirit of infirmity. That's language that indicates that this woman had significant sickness or weakness. I'm not trying to trivialise that. This is not a sniffly nose. This was significant. Luke's told us for 18 years she had this chronic physical condition of being bent and bound. Let me just draw out those two things. Firstly, she was bent. Again, in verse 11, it, it, it uses this expression, who had the spirit of infirmity 18 years, and she was bent over. That is literally, she was bent double. If you're bent double, I'm six foot three and a bit, or around six foot three. If I'm bent double, I'm, I'm half my height. I'm about three foot. You wouldn't see me. She's bent double. She had a major back problem. Perhaps this is a spinal condition that, that caused her to, to be in this doubled over position. This is some sort of extreme hunchback or curvature of the spine. It, it likely was painful as most back issues are. Her condition was severe. Verse 16 actually says Satan had involvement with this. It doesn't mean Satan is involved with everything when it's a physical affliction. But in this case, Jesus highlights that. Her condition, no, no doubt, created many other complications for her health, being doubled over for so long. For 18 years, Jesus underscores it, surely it must have restricted her internal organs. Perhaps it led to digestive problems, among other things. Everything is stretched in ways that they're not meant to be. She's got strained ligaments. She's probably got pinched nerves. She's got real pain. And think what impact of her being bent over double meant for her life. Just think of the posture of being doubled over. 
Her sight was affected. It had to have been. She's constantly looking down. She's looking down at the dirty floor, at the dusty road. That's what she has generally in her vision. She couldn't straighten herself up to see other things. She, she couldn't even look ahead with ease. Just so many things that she couldn't see. Her vision was limited. She couldn't have normal perspective. And here, friends, can you see that her physical condition in many ways describes the spiritual state of all those who are unconverted? Perhaps that's you. Now, it's true that you can see some things. You might know mathematical equations. You might know history facts. You might be really good at sporting statistics. There might be a host of things like that that you do know. But when it comes to spiritual things, the non-Christian's mind is very limited. It lacks insight. When it comes to God, for instance, and what he is like and why he made the world and why he made you, you can really see some things, but you can't get the full grasp of those things like a Christian can. You can't really see the, the God who is a holy God and all of his justice whilst he can also be gracious and loving. You fail to see how magnificent and how glorious the Lord Jesus is. And is it not true that you are not looking ahead to the day of judgment? That you have no real eternity perspective? Where are your eyes looking? They're looking down. You're looking at earthly things. You're gazing at the dust. You're not looking up toward heaven. Are you? But this woman's bent condition also meant she couldn't walk properly. Think of it. Her entire life was affected by this. She was bent. And no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't raise herself up. That's what Luke tells us. And that's what it's like for the sinner not yet saved. Everything in one sense is bent. And, and, and nothing we try can straighten it. Think it through. Sinners have bent thinking. Twisted patterns of thought compared to God's straight precepts. Sinners have bent desires. The sinner's pursuits and desires are distorted, of course, by a corrupt heart. Even attitudes are out of shape. And, of course, there's crooked conduct. And hard as we try to, to in our walk in this life... To do our best, it's always affected by our sinful, bent condition. We have got a constant bent to unrighteousness, to rebellion, to selfishness and fleshly pursuits. Why? Because we are bent on the inside. And so we can in no way straighten ourselves up. That is precisely why every one of us needs the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ.
She was bent. We see that in her condition. And the second thing that I want to quickly draw out is that she was bound. She was locked into this bent posture. She was bound in this very physical condition. Bound is actually the term that Jesus uses in verse 16. Bound in her physical condition. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. We are all born into this world sinners. Even the cutest, youngest, lovely little child comes from the womb bent and bound. This whole thing about what's free, what's freedom. That, that, that's a, a discussion, if you like, going on within our world in these days. Who's free and who's bound? Well, we can look at that whole thing from the wrong angle. And, and the normal thinking today is, well, well, Christians are the ones, they're the ones who are all tied up with all these rules. They're bound to this dusty old book. They can't do this. They can't do that. You shall not lie. You shall not murder. You shall not covet. Christianity is too restrictive for me. I don't want that. And the world's thinking is, well, we non-Christians, we are free to do what we want. Christianity, that's bondage. We've got freedom. Oh, how bent that thinking is when we open up and read what God says. The Bible is clear. We are in bondage to sin. Whoever commits sin, that covers everyone here. That's our natural place where we go. Is a slave of sin. And so before someone becomes a Christian, they're bound to their sin. They're enslaved to their sin. They're addicted to their sinful habits. Some of them are noticeable and most of them are not. And no matter how hard you try, you can't break the power of sin in your life. You can't get out of it. And you might say, well, but I, I mean, I can change. Okay, then try. I'll give you my email address. You come back to me in a week and let me know how you've gone. This woman's bondage to her bent condition illustrates the sinner's spiritual state that we are bent and we are in bondage. That's the condition. Now, thirdly, let's come now to the glorious part of the text, the cure. And friends, if you have known someone with a debilitating back problem, maybe it's you, you will recognise how incredible this moment that we're going to look at now was in the synagogue on this Sabbath day. Have a look with me back in your Bible to verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, 
But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now in those two verses, there is a wealth of treasure here. And I want to very quickly draw out, break it down simply, four things that Luke mentions. You'll see them in the text. The first thing Jesus says in verse um, verse 12 is, Jesus saw her. You see it? Jesus is out in front teaching the multitude in the synagogue and yet he singles her out of the multitude, Luke says. Jesus saw her. This doubled over woman wouldn't have been seen by most in a crowd. She's hunched over, remember. But Jesus saw her. And my friend, Jesus looks down from heaven this evening and he sees into this congregation here and he sees you. His gaze is personal. He knows your heart, sinner. He knows your life. He knows how bent your thinking maybe has been at times, how twisted your desires, how crooked your conduct. He knows all of that. But he looks at you with compassion. He looks at you with love. Jesus saw her. And Jesus sees you. Have a look at the next thing in verse 12. Jesus called her. Now we're not told the words that Jesus used. But but partway through his sermon it seems, Jesus called this woman to himself. He didn't call her by her name. Well, maybe he did. We don't know all. But just imagine the scene when she realizes that that's her name, that he's looking at her, that he's pointing at her. She's like, me? You, you, you're calling me Lord? And have a closer look at the text. Jesus called her to him. And she responds. She comes. Yes, she shuffles. She she struggles to the front of the synagogue. She's unashamed to come to Jesus. Though all eyes are most obviously watching. Is Jesus calling you tonight? Is he calling You to leave your sin, to leave your old life, calling you to come to him. You see, here is this woman in this congregation. She has been listening to Jesus preach. And as she listens to Jesus preach, that's when Jesus calls her. And here you are, like her, could we say, in a congregation, listening to preaching about Jesus. And he calls you. And like you, he doesn't just call. Luke says he called her to him. We must come to him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, due to your sin, and I will give you rest. He calls sinners to himself. 
He doesn't call sinners to religion. He doesn't call sinners to ritual. He's not saying to sinners, now it's time for you to become religious. He calls sinners to himself. He says, come to me and I will by no means cast you out. I will never turn you away. Come to me. Friends, that is his call still. He's calling tonight. We know what her answer is. What's your answer? Jesus saw her. Jesus called her. Back in the text. Jesus said to her. And what did Jesus say? Well, at the end of verse 12, we have the words of what Jesus says. Woman, you've been bound. Now be loosed. In other words, he announces her cure. Jesus speaks in front of the congregation. All could hear that salvation lies in the hands of Jesus Christ and him alone. Verse 11 said she could in no way raise herself up, suggesting she'd certainly tried. Maybe like others, Others that we read about in the Gospels, in our Bibles, she had spent all that she had on the doctor's fees. And all human remedies had failed. Jesus wanted all to know, who were there in that gathering, that he had come to set the captive free. That he had come to loose the chains that bind us. For 18 years, this woman had been bound in this physical infirmity until Jesus said, woman, you are released from your infirmity. Jesus set her free. And that's what he did for those of us who are Christians. When he saved us, He set us free, free from condemnation. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus doesn't just ignore sin and wipe it away, as it were, by turning a blind eye toward our sin. No, God is a God of justice, and justice demands a verdict that it must be satisfied. There is no forgiveness without a cost, a great cost. The Bible says there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The payment for sin is death. God in his holiness can't just let let you off the hook. So what did he do? He sent his son, his only son, into this world. To die in our place, to bear our sin, to take our punishment, so that all who trust in him and they and they alone are the ones who are set free. And when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Amen. What next did Jesus do? Verse 13. And he laid his hands on her. Jesus saw her. Jesus called her, Jesus said to her, and now lastly, Jesus touched her. Just think of that act. For Jesus to lay his hands on her, he would have had to stoop down to her. And that's the Saviour. He stooped. He came from heaven. He left glory 
to make a way of salvation for sinners. The son condescended. He humbled himself. He stooped down out of pity to reach us, to save us. Luke says he touched her. That's a personal touch. It's like Jesus saying, this is my work. Only I can do this. The hands of grace make the bent straight. And as Luke the doctor tells us, knowing that this was a miracle, he says immediately she was made straight. She had been so bent, remember, she's been doubled over. Now she's made straight. There's no stiffness. There's no slowly standing tall after six weeks of physiotherapy treatment. It's immediately. Think of that. Think what's going on there. Every ligament, every muscle fibre is restored in an instant. Touched by the hands of grace and power. And those hands of grace can touch you tonight. Restoring your soul. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation, you will be made straight, could we say, before God in an instant. All your crooked record of your past before the bar of the justice of God will be straightened in Christ. You'll be free from sin's punishment. The dominion of sin will be broken. You'll be free from condemnation and death. You will know the reality that all of your sins will be forgiven forever. That is what happens when God saves sinners. He does it one by one. Well, in conclusion, what was the reply of this woman? Again, it's in verse 13. It says at the end, immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You might think, huh? I thought it was Jesus that called her. I thought it was Jesus that looked at her. I thought it was Jesus that touched her. Wasn't it Jesus that healed her? But now she's glorifying God? What's the connection? Well, you, you can see it. It's obvious, surely. She is acknowledging that this is God's work. And by implication that the one that did it, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, is God. And so she glorified God. And then after this exchange that Luke mentions about the Sabbath that we're not going to look at, what do we see in verse 17 at the end of the story? When Jesus had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. My friend, if you would come to Christ for salvation... Not only will you glorify God, but a congregation of God's people will join in like this congregation in the synagogue and we will rejoice for the glorious things that were done by him in you.
Jesus can unbend the most stubborn will. That one who for years has been bent on pleasing himself or herself and pursuing sin. Christian friend, never despair about the salvation of others like your child, for instance. As long as they are alive, there is hope. And he still saves. He still makes the bent straight. And he can turn those around who are lost tonight in their sin and he can set them free. And if you're here this evening and you are unsaved and you know in your heart you are, how long have you been bent? How long have you been bent on doing your own thing, running your own life? Yet in reality, you've actually been bowed down under sin's weight and maybe you've at times, other times not so much, but at times you've felt the guilt of that, that sense of guilt that you've broken God's law, that you've offended the God that made you. You are actually in bondage to it. That sin has pushed you down toward the dust. And sin has brought its deformity. It's distorted your outlooks on things. It's constantly causing you to look not up, but look down. Perhaps you've even been looking at filthy, dirty things as you've looked down. Certainly not been looking to Christ and heavenly things. How long have you been bent? Twelve years? 16, 28, 48, 88? How long have things not been well with your soul? Well, my friend, if you would come to him, trust in him, in a moment, he will make you whole. And so my final plea is come to him. Trust in Christ alone. He sees you. He speaks to you. He comes to you. He calls you. Will you come to him? Will you come to him now? You say, what does that mean? This is not rocket science. The true gospel is simple and it's true. In your seat... Right there, right now, you can cry out to God, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. Save me. Save me through the shed blood of your son who died on the cross and took my punishment. I turn from my sin and I cling to you, Christ. Save me and save me now. He will no wise cast out. Come to him. Come to him.